Challenges and Conversation with Noma Zibulo Changa. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Leaders in Conversation with Noma Zibulo Changa. I'm bringing you amazing guests on this podcast. Today we've got Uandisa Liba. She is the Chief People Officer at one of the... She works in the financial... HR industry, but we will hear all about that. I would like to remind you that we're doing all things corporate, all things leadership and gender inclusivity. So I'd like to welcome Andy Saliba um, as we have a leadership conversation. Thank you for having me. Yes. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Let's just get right into it. Mm. Ooh. So you've enjoyed and built your career in the people management space. How did that come about? Just talk me through your journey in that space. I think people management kind of found me in my process of becoming. Yeah. I have a bit of a PR journalism background. Mm -hmm. um, I learned very quickly early and early on in my career that that was not the right fit for me. Mm -hmm. And I think as I embarked on that process of reflecting what it is that I like, mm. what are my core strengths, mm. um, in what environment do I thrive in? Mm -hmm. And inadvertently, the answer became human capital. Mm. And here I am today. Doing exactly that. Doing exactly that. So what would you say were your um, personality traits or some of the um, characters that led you um, um, to fall in love with people management? I think the ability to, to deal with people. I think the ability to negotiate, I think resolve conflict are really key aspects of what we do. Because as, you know, as people practitioners, you know, we really are dealing with a myriad of stakeholders, right, in a business. So whether you're doing, you know, whether you're doing work with business segments yep. and crafting out a strategy, whether you're dealing with actual people issues and resolving conflict. So your ability to move in between these spaces mm. seamlessly really kind of sets you apart and really puts you in a position when, you know, where you can really add value to a business. Mm, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so what exactly did you study then? So I studied um, out, of, out of school, I studied journalism. Um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, mm. I like the, the art of writing. In fact, I still do. Um, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a content contributor. I mean, I write for a couple of publications. Okay. Um, and, and I think once I did that, I did a bit of PR mm. and then later on went to do um, a business administration course, which then led me into, um, into the people space. Yeah. So what does your current role entail as a chief people officer? So I work um, in, a, in a fintech and, yeah. and really my role is centered around a couple of things. I think there is the core human capital mm. aspect of it, which is a very internal facing part of my job. Yeah. Um, the, you know, I think the crux of my job is really centered around creating space and dialogue for financial consciousness. Mm. Um, I think, you know, the unintended consequence of the COVID pandemic mm. is that, you know, it's really challenged people. I think mentally it's challenged, I think, how we engage with money. Mm. And so I spend a lot of time dealing with business leaders and HR executives in helping them to rethink mental models around the compensation uh, models mm. that are in place, um, bringing in something that, you know, that is very supplementary uh, to I think the more traditional models mm. and so I do I do have a bit of a hybrid role I, just, I don't think my role as chief people officer at float pays 
is um, is quite standard mm. um, and dare I use that term very loosely yeah. um, so it is quite hybrid in in that mm. um, over and above that I do quite a lot of investor relations as an extension of that job of the role yes yeah. yes oh, that's interesting so um, we understand that the Gen Z's have entered into the workplace mm -hmm. or they are entering mm -hmm. so what impact does this generation have um, on the employers and the workplace I think the Gen Z's have given us an opportunity for us to really rethink uh, people practices. Um, I think we, for the longest time, we've become comfortable mm. with, I think, doing things in a certain way because that's how they've always been done. Mm. Um, and so I think they bring an interesting mix in the sense that I think what their needs are from, from, you know, from a people perspective yeah. is fundamentally different. Mm. I think also they are teaching us that people actually um, self-actualize in the workplace and so inadvertently then that forces us to really rethink policies right mm. are the policies we have in the workplace fit for purpose do they make sense are they agile enough mm. do they speak to this new generation of workforce that we're trying yeah. to foster um, and so I think if anything else I, I quite enjoy you know having them in the workplace yeah. I'll bet they are challenging yes. um, <laughs> to have around but, but I think I think it's important because they're forcing us to have the right kind of conversations which perhaps we've been kind of circumventing around for the longest time. Yeah, yeah. So what, what, what um, you spoke about agility. So how yeah. important is agility within the workspace? Sure, I, I think now more than ever, and, and, and I suppose, you know, it's been a, a result of COVID. Yes. It's been a result of, I think, the complexity of the geopolitical challenges mm. that we've seen in the world, that I think one have collapsed the geographical mm. barriers that used to sit um, you know, in how we define what a workplace is. Looks like. Right. Mm. So, you know, so now I've got the opportunity to hire someone within the same time zone as me, but living in a different country. Yeah. And so I, I think that there's been a lot more leeway in terms of how, mm. how we think about these things. And, and for me, again, it's, you know, it's an opportunity, I think, to actively engage with policymakers. I think in most countries, you've got policymakers that are either have a political background, mm. but not necessarily have a corporate background. And, you know, and these are the individuals that we almost, and loosely I say this, at their mercy mm. in terms of, uh, you know, the, the labor legislative parts mm. of what we do and, and the, I guess, the guardrails that govern how we set up policies. Mm, mm. So how important is organizational culture? Because everything that you spoke about fits into organizational culture. How important is that? It's, I think it's become so much more important because I think the workplace has moved away from being the nine to five clock in, clock out. Um, it is an environment where people are looking to have their potential yeah. identified, mm -hmm. have their potential nurtured and developed. Um, I think have their values that resonate with their own personal values. Yeah. Um, I think have their ways of how they see the world mm. are reflected in how we do things, yeah. not the what, and I think the direction or strategy that we're going, but in the how, right? So, you know, so what cadence when we have meetings, right? You know, what's the quality of conversation in our meetings? Would, mm. So we've moved away from that style of leadership mm. that says command and control, right? Mm. I'm Andy, I'm chief people officer, or I'm this, mm. you will listen to me, yeah. you will do uh, you know, what, what I do. So, you know, it's, it's almost extended itself to this beautiful autonomy that mm. now people have yeah. and so i think organizational cultures moved away from being a it's a curated experience by business leaders mm. to i think a collaborative effort you I know, love in, that. You know in, in us yeah. asking 
what would you like to see from a workplace? What quality of experience do you want? And how can we partner together? So more together? listening, more engaging, more interactive. Very much so. Yes. Um, so what does the future world of work looks like? And, 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 what, um, and as a leader, what should we pre prepare? How should we prepare for it? Um, I think because we've been talking a lot about um, the um, you know uh, the, the future world of work and mm -hmm. and and how COVID has led us to rethink mm -hmm. and and relook at our processes as you've mentioned. Yeah. But what does that look like, and how can we prepare, or how can businesses prepare for that? Um, I I think uh, at the core for Emma, you know, I, I highly advocate for conscious leadership. Yeah. Um, I think we've entered a realm um, in the world um, and by extension in the workplace where as leaders we are challenged to, I think, seek outside of our comfort mm. in, mm. I think, advocating for what people truly need in the yep. workplace, um, advocating how do we foster talent and how do we grow people. So in 2006 to 2008, you worked as an executive PA for the current president of South Africa, Mr. Cyril Ramaphosa. Mm -hmm. How was that like? Just talk us through that <laughs> on a lighter note. <laughs> it, it was an incredible experience. I was very young. I was very naive. Yeah. Um, I worked at a recruitment agency at the time yeah. before I started who was looking for a PA. They couldn't find a PA for him for, I think, a good 18 months. Mm. Um, so you I were put, the perfect candidate. And I put my hand up. I'd never been a PA my entire life. I'd never managed someone's schedule, least of all someone of, of his level and Statue, magnitude. Yeah. Um, but I think the experience in its entirety really taught me to, to understand my authenticity as a person. Mm -hmm. I think to, for me to redefine my style of leadership, mm. to learn from my environment, uh, to have a teachable spirit. Teachable there, spirit. There's something that, about, yeah. I think, being a leader where, you know, you are not dictating things to people, but you're, you're listening. listening. And a lot of that takes compassion, mm. right? It mm. takes compassion, understanding what do people want. And, and so it was an interesting environment. I mean, if I look back now, retrospectively, yeah. a lot of us who were, you know, um, in that employ in those two years have gone on to become C-suite executives. Mm. So I think if anything else, it's a testament that it was the right, you know, training wheel to, I think, you know, birth a generation of leaders. Yeah, yeah. Talk about C-suite leaders. Um, what advice would you give to aspiring C-suite leaders um, to become at that level? Um, I think treat your career as a jungle gym and have fun while doing it. I love that, have fun while doing it. Have fun yeah. while doing it. Um, I, I think we need to break away from the pressure to quickly become specialists. Um, and I think 20 years ago, the model of leadership and how we groomed and mm. we built up a talent pool, you know, really kind of mirrored that, right? Who were the specialists? Who were doing what? Yeah. And, and I think this new style of leadership, or at least the, the expectation from the world of a leader today, mm. is people who, you know, people come from multiple disciplines, you know, people who are agile in their thinking, people who are open to new mm. ideas. Um, you know, and you, I mean, you're looking at even like CEOs, right? You know, you know, CEOs that are coming in, a, a good example is Clicks, yeah. right? You know, you know, the Clicks group in South yeah. Africa, they have the XHR director now is now a CEO. become as a CEO. Uh, yes. And she's and which traditionally is a, a lawyer by training. Yeah. So she's a lawyer who went into HR, who's now a chief executive. Mm. And so again, it really speaks to, I think that need to build multi disciplines. So I think be open to new experiences, yeah. learn different things. Um, and again, I feel like a broken record when I say this, have a teachable spirit. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is so important. So um, tell me, how important is leadership to you? Leadership is very important to me. Um, I don't take for granted the responsibility that comes with me, whether it what is What does that responsibility look like? I think that responsibility is my ability to be able to identify human potential. Yeah. 
in both humans as well as process mm. and my courage to develop it. And that courage often speaks to breaking through yeah. boundaries, right? Doing things that haven't been done before, mm. showing up for my people when they need me and when they don't need me um, and advocating for them. Mm. And, and a lot of that really kind of takes pushing through uh, the normalcy um, of what is comfort mm. um, and, and it's a responsibility I don't take for granted. Mm. We're going into an ad break. We'll be coming back shortly with Andisa to continue the leadership conversation. She is the Chief People Officer at Float Pace. Welcome to 2023. We're quite excited about this year. We are hosting The Brunch with Noma on the 25th of March, 2023. Our theme for this year is be unstoppable and be significant. We're quite excited. We've got a good lineup of speakers that will be sharing their knowledge, experience, and just words of wisdom and encouraging us to get geared for this year and be exceptional in the spaces that we operate in. So we will be showcasing the posters on our social media pages please do um, register for the brunch with Noma that's coming up soon on the 25th of March Welcome back from the ad break. We are continuing with our leadership conversation with Wandi Swaliba. She is the Chief People Officer at Float Pays. But now we're getting to the interesting stuff. Um, I want to know, um, how did you find the transition from university to corporate? How was that like? It, was it a shocking system? It, it was a big jump. And, 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 I th and I think we don't do enough to prepare youngsters to make that transition. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we, we often, you know, these kids often get the short end of the stick. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think for me, it's that I think that problem is also twofold. I think there's a cognitive dissonance between educational yeah. institutions and I think what the labor Corporate, market is looking, yes, is looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you look at how compounded the issue on youth unemployment, you really kind of understand if you start peeling back the layers. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's complex and I don't think there's a silver bullet for it, mm. but I think more can be done to facilitate that process and that jump. And I think the same can be said, I think for kids who are moving from high school into university, university. Mm. you know, you're going from asking for permission to go to the bathroom at grade 12 to a month later, two months later in university, and you've got full autonomy of your schedule mm. and, you know, and you can go really crazy if you don't have the discipline or I think the right support structures to kind yeah. of keep you accountable. And support and guide you Correct. throughout this transition. Correct. Um, what are some of the challenges that you had encountered in corporate? Sure. <laughs> uh, sure, there, there are so many. I mean, I, mean, I think my, my come up or my process of, you know, climbing up the ladder was, uh, was, was quite complex. Mm. Um, I, I was very intentional very early on in my mm. career to mm. try different industry and to acquire different pockets of experience mm. and so I think the challenges I faced within the financial sector yeah. and financial services was mm. fundamentally different to challenges I faced in the more creative spaces yeah. where I worked in PR agencies digital agencies um, but but I but I think one can you know can draw kind of the parallels between some of these things I, I think one we often make the mistake that all of our colleagues are our friends yeah not everyone wants you to win 
Mm. Um, you know, you can't always trust everyone. Yeah. Um, you have to exercise a little bit of autonomy in mm. what and how you share things. Yeah. Um, you've got to be a bit bold and brazen in, in your ask for stretch assignments. Um, and, and I think there were parts of my career where I wasn't courageous enough to, you know, to ask and put my hand up. I've subsequently learned that art, um, I think much earlier on, I wish someone had taught me that, you know, in my earlier phases, mm. uh, because I, because I do think it would have probably accelerated, uh, my path, um, uh, um, you know, a lot, a lot faster. Mm. So, so there are all of these, you know, very nuanced things that no school of thought can teach you. They don't yeah. sit in, in a academic classroom, yes. in a classroom environment. It's really kind of experiential learning. You're learning it on the job as it's happening to you. Mm. Uh, but I really think the sweet spot for us now as leaders is curating that playbook and for giving it back to back the others. To the, uh, mm. I, don't, I don't see a need of a young, I mean, if I look at my mentees that are mm. young um, HR grads, I see no reason why they should face some of those same struggles that, 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 you that I have. I, mm. I really don't. Yeah. Um, so when really, you can open the path for them yeah. and make it easier for them. When I can open them. the path, when I can simply give them the, mm. the playbook um, as, yeah. as it is. And, and that's a benefit. I mean, you, you, you see it play out in, you know, in, in, in sport, yeah. right? You know, like the coach that's on the sidelines kind of has the game in their mind, yeah. right? So they can kind of make strategic decisions and kind of give that yeah. intel to players mm. and I really think there's a lot to be learned from the sporting fraternity mm. um, you know if you look at if you look at it from a championship level in terms of how do we take those skills and yeah. we transfer that into the day-to-day -day. so if I want you to win what can I do for you on the sidelines mm. um, and and I think there were parts in my journey where I had people who were very intentional and drove, drove that with purpose to see me succeed yeah um, and there were those who thought no the responsibility lies with me to ask for it mm. um, and mm. they chose to you know to not with be forthcoming hold. yes um, mm. and so it you know it i mean i think it's been it's been complex but i have an appreciation i think for even some of the harder lessons yeah because i'm able now to peel back those layers to mm. you know to my young in interns mm. who i've seen have grown in leaps and bounds in three in three years mm. how important is mentorship for you Mentorship is, is, is important to, to a degree. Mm. Um, I, I think we, we've sold the aesthetics of, of mentorship and, mm. and that is the access mm. to high ranking executives, mm. right? And being able to call a Norma, yeah. but I've got Norma on speed dial. Yeah. Like, we're Norma, hi, yes. can we do yeah, lunch? Like, you're right. So we've sold the pizzazz of it. Um, I don't think we're intentional enough. I think about teaching, I think those on the receiving end, you know, how to curate a quality experience for themselves mm. and so we show up as mentors and we give what we asked instead of going okay so what else do i think you need for your own growth and development yeah. um and and i think whilst i may say that loosely i mean that you know that's not the experience of everyone so yeah. there's value in having mentorship but but for me i think you know there's an extra step that needs to happen so you can take me from point a to point b yeah. what do i do at point b yeah so if i'm none the wiser then I stay stagnant. Yeah. So, you know, so I've been mentored. Great. You know, but, I, but what, what's next? What's next? What now? Yes. What now? Um, and, and I think we need to be just be very careful how we curate what that next step is to see people. And, and I think the argument will always be, well, people need to want it for themselves, mm. but also people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that's, and that, and that's just a simple equation. So, so I, I'm, I have a great appreciation of mentorship. I've been mentored by exceptional leaders who I rank till this day very highly, yeah. um, who have been very instrumental in my mm. career, uh, and they continue to be.
Mm. I see you've got um, outside interest in technology through the, um, the Women's Tech Connection. Mm. You are the co-founder, so yeah. tell us about that. Uh, I have such an appreciation for technology for its, sh for its sheer scale of economies. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if we look at the erosion of yeah. liberal democracies mm. and how, you know, technology and innovation are really key mm -hmm. to us, I think, transforming our, our, our young demo democratic countries, our young economies. Mm. And I really think, you know, IT is an accelerant and really drives that. When I started Women's Tech Connection as an employee of, yeah. of Cisco at the time, yeah. as the HR director for Africa, yeah. what I'd found in the system was that there was a lot of women in the system. They were either mostly sometimes relegated to less technical roles. Mm. The ones that were in technical roles were not really given the seat yeah. at the table. So they were at the table. They were there. But they were, they were qualified. Um, but, you know, but no voice with you no know, voice. But no, yeah. but not so much. I, I you know, and, and I've got a love-hate relationship, I think, sometimes with some of that phrasing. Yeah. Um, and my experience has been women have the voice. Yeah. They just aren't empowered to use it. And I really wanted to create a space and I think a movement mm. that drove that quite, quite extensively. Mm. At the core of that was I, I was in disbelief that in a country as our size, in a mm. continent of, of our size, we had a handful of CCIE certified engineers. Mm. Um, not because there aren't enough women that aspire to yeah. it, but because there have been so many artificial barriers mm. that have been set in place that women who are young moms, who are young professionals, yeah. um, are in very unforgiving environments mm. uh, that don't allow them to have the time off to yeah. go and, you know, and figure out a lab, to go and study these things and kind of work that, that trajectory. Yeah. And so I was very intentional about creating learning pathways that ticked all of those boxes. boxes um, yes. It was very unconventional. No mm. one in the market does it. Um, and so it's exciting. So I feel yeah. like every day with Women's Tech Connection, I'm building the aircraft as I'm flying it. Yeah, and there's yeah. such a thrill about that for me because I, I, I thrive I thrive under pressure as well. Mm, mm. So what do you think about the underrepresentation of women in South African corporate? And what can be done um, um, to, for, for women and gender inclusivity in our corporates as leaders? Uh, I, I think we've got to be intentional about our policies. Mm. I think there's more than enough women. Mm. I think we need to move away from the excuses and the artificial barriers that, that exist. Mm. Uh, you know, if you look at the, the split of, I think, even young grads coming out of university, mm. that gender split, you know, there, there tends to be more of a female skew yes. by virtue of the scale of numbers. Yes. Right? I mean, you know, for every three children, two of them are, are, are girl women. children. Mm. And so, you know, the numbers are there. So we've got to ask ourselves, you know, like, you know, what are the things that we're doing that are barriers? Yeah. Um, and I think some of these barriers are, you know, are easily, can be easily pulled back. Mm -hmm. um, if there's intention, there's purpose, you know, for, for true representation, yeah. instead of hiding behind policy and, and I think all of these other excuses that, that tend to be used. You've done tremendously well in your career. So what's next for you? <laughs> uh, I recently, take, uh, a couple of months ago, I took up a role um, with the Pan-African Chamber of Commerce as, as a CEO. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm an Congratulations. Avid, thank you. Thank you very much. I am an avid Pan-Africanist. Mm. Um, I really believe in the power of our, of our, of our collective mm. um, you know, intellectual capital yeah. to, I think, grow the continent mm. to where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yes, whilst we have barriers um, in the form of technology, in the form of, you know, the epileptic yeah. power supply issues that mm. we have, um, I think the, the sheer will of African people is something that, that we can never fully comprehend. Mm. Um, and so really it is a work.
that um, you know I engage with a lot of stakeholders, both corporate, both um, in, you know in government yeah. um, and policymakers, mm. and it really is fostering I think conversation from I think three verticals mm. one from a creativity perspective I yeah. think Africans are just naturally creative, creative yeah. um, entrepreneurial perspective I think understanding the legacy issues that we we have we as have. a continent mm -hmm. um, and understanding those nuances um, and I think entrepreneurship I think you know uh, understanding the systemic issues you know so I think whilst entrepreneurship is great we can't entrepreneurship our way out of everything yeah and so yeah. you know so what is the environment that that, that we exist in right yeah. and you know, and what are the challenges there and let's unbundle them mm. so it's been a great piece of work I think in you know cross-pollination you know um in you know intercontinental mm. intracontinental you know mm. exchange of ideas mm. um and, and in moving that agenda forward mm. that sounds exciting it that is. sounds exciting we've come to the end of our conversation and thank you so much um for gracing us with your presence and sharing your wisdom and experience with us um we've come to the end of the conversation um until next time thank you <laughs>